You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Welcome to Your Queer Story. This is the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism. We're your hosts. I'm Paul Hobbs. I'm Evan Jones. And we are going to give a kick-ass continuation of the story of drag. What a drag. A history of ballroom culture and modern drag. I gave official name to this episode. Now you haven't done that in a while. You haven't. Well. (laughs) I've noticed. (laughs) So sorry. You have to write one thing. That ain't my job. That ain't my job. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, um, we're fine. Everything's fine. We're good. We just is okay. Evan fi- single-handedly took down an organization. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> With Apparently, two Facebook I posts. did. <laughs> Apparently, I did. Yes, I wrote two little things on Facebook, and I destroyed Rhode Island. Dismantled all of Rhode Island with two Facebook posts. That shows but you how sturdy the structure was. Let me that's tell you something. Uh, that shows you how powerful I am, right? Me, the person that most of the queer community didn't even know, suddenly is is destroying things left Entire and right. Entire organizations. Wow. Entire. Yeah, You're a radical. I am. I really am. I'm like, <laughs> hi, I have some questions. And they're like, how dare you? How dare you question us? Questions? <laughs> what is this? Sit down and do not question me. Right? So, um, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, but where are we going? We're, we're, we're saying make sure that you like, subscribe, and download your queer story and review us online. Wherever you listen, five stars, please, because mm-hmm. strive for five. Strive for five. <laughs> Retail's in there. But if you could review us and share the podcast and promote us or whatever, we'd appreciate it. Let people know, really, though, if you do give reviews on us, it helps us on our Google scores. So that when people look for queer history and queer podcasts and LGBTQ plus information, we pop up there first. Yeah. So you're helping us by just doing that or you can subscribe to our patreon and donate that way we still have our weekly meetings on friday i've switched over to zoom so it's a little more accessible to people i was doing google meets before and i've also opened up the the um, platform a little more still trying to be careful mm-hmm. but uh not not screening quite as much just to make it more accessible for people right but yeah so LGBTQ plus support group on Friday afternoons. That's what you're paying for. There's behind the Queens content. There's the coffee with Evan whenever I post it, which are videos. We have a queer mentorship program, which yes. connects people mm-hmm. in unsupportive environments with a queer mentor who can help them through everything they need from yep. finding housing or, you know, even if they just need advice or all of these things. Yeah. So $3 a month, 
you get content and you allow us to provide things for many, many, many people. Exactly. You also allow us to do this podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you allow us the podcast. So you're really supporting a lot of good things. Um, and then you're also supporting the new Queer Digest platform that we have. Yep. Where- Which is a um, collection of news articles from various LGBT sources um, that kind of places them all all on one page where you can kind of see each day what was posted there's intersex news asexual news bisexual news pansexual news gay news lesbian news um i mean it's really just covers the queer spectrum and there's even a search bar at the top that allows you to search the queer net so if you want to look up a specific person say you want to look up marsha p johnson i guarantee Mm -hmm. you if you search marsha p johnson you're going to find an article from cnn or something on the top of google yeah but if you search on the queer net it's going to search only queer websites you're guaranteed to get an article that has accurate information it's not whitewashed it's not dead named it's not straight it's not straight washed it's very queer written Probably by queer authors. I can't guarantee you that a queer website doesn't have straight or yeah. you know people, but mostly written by queer authors from a queer perspective. So it gives you the ability to really learn your history. It also has sex stuff on there. Mm-hmm. So if you're like trying to have I don't know anal sex for the first time, you can Google on the queer net how to do anal sex, and you'll get articles from queer websites that give you tips mm-hmm. and how to do things and how to be safe and how to make sure it's fun. Yeah, because if you Google it on Google, I like, can guarantee you you're going to get some crazy results and you're yeah. going to find porn and stuff and if yeah. that's not what you're looking for then you know what i mean it just gives you a place to really look for things that you can feel safe searching you know you're getting the right information and you know it's coming from a source of someone who is in the same boat as you yeah so i mean and so like i said i love the fact that it's it, it centers and is all around queer content online and so if you produce queer content and um it, We'd have to check and see what it is. So, like, like we said, we're not going to do like CNN writing about queer people. Right. It should be a queer vetted source that it's coming from. But if you do a queer blog or you do a queer, um, like, journalist site, or you a queer traveler who does travel blogging, we yeah. have a travel section. Like, whatever is, yeah. If you're if you're a queer source, then we you just send us an email at yourqueerstory at gmail and we can put you into our lineup. Now, I mean, it's like Google and that it's going to still rate the content but you're more likely to show up on the queer net than you might be in a, in a regular google search right and it also allows you if you wanted to be on the home page whenever you posted a blog or something you could appear right at the top along with mm-hmm. our other sources you know yeah. so somebody loads up queerdigest.com and boom there's your article right at the top yeah um it is a copy and paste from your site but at the bottom there is a source and any links you put into the article still link to that proper source so if you link to your home page or whatever it'll go there will yeah. be a link to your homepage on that article. Yeah. And there's not any any cost to no, no, be it's all put, free. put on that. So all you free. just just it's an easy way to with, promote yourself. Um, sorry, I'm talking over you. It's funded with ads, so I'm mm-hmm. working on getting some ads in there. If you want to advertise on there, let me know. Right now we're doing some Amazon ads. Google actually denied us mm. um, because it's called an aggregation site and they don't advertise on aggregation sites, so it's yeah. not because we're queer. But I could pretend it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. If you want to be on there, let me know. Like Evan said, it's going to have to be vetted. We have to make sure it's appropriate. We have to make sure you're not like a white gay writing for white gays. Like it really needs to be for the queer community. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, send us yourqueerstory at gmail.com if you think that you could benefit from being promoted on there or whatever. You know, we'd be happy to link your stuff to the queer nets. 
Um, and again, that, that goes back to, especially until we get more ads, that's also being funded by Patreon. So helping to further promote other queer writers, artists, bloggers, every bloggers, whatever, <laughs> other queer people. Um, um, I do want to say one more thing. Yeah. We can't do um, Tumblr blogs. Okay. It needs to be like a full website with an RSS feed. So either they're like a WordPress site or like a blogger site or even like a standard HTML website, but we can't do Tumblr. Okay. As far as I know. Yeah. Try it. No guarantees though. Okay. Yeah, but reach out and just see. You know, the worst thing that happens if we can't do it, we'll let you know. But like I said, it's a free way we for you to try to promote We can still add you to the queer net. Yeah. If it's not a WordPress, but we just can't add you to the, the role of posts coming That's in. on the homepage. Right. Okay. Um, so also, so yeah, so there's that. Um, but before we get into our episode today i thought it'd be fun because paul started becoming an, an avid reader like myself i have i'm I, I it's hard for me to my dogs it's hard for me to call myself a reader because i'm not actually reading but i'm i'm listening on audible so i guess it's studies have shown that your your brain reacts the same way to listening to a book as it does to reading a book okay well there you go i'm an avid reader i have um by the time this drops i hope to have finished um stamped from the beginning mm-hmm. uh but Maybe not because my family was here for a week, so I probably didn't do any reading while they were here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got Stamp from the Beginning. I listened to White Fragility. I've got 1491. I have um, Unapologetic, which is by a a, a black queer feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just very... My mind is blown, I think, because I, do, I love to learn, but I always hated reading. Yeah. It was just never something I did. But I always listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. right? So that seems kind of yeah. contradictory why I would not try Audible. The reason I never tried it was because in my mind, when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm half listening. Yeah. But then I started to realize, okay, I'm still retaining the information. So why not try a book and actually educate myself on some topics? And guess what? It fucking works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we were talking too, like if you, if you, especially if you like continue to read on a subject that that information is going to build on there. Mm-hmm. You, I've read, like read so many books in my life. And I can tell you that I retain, I feel like I retain the same information. I might retain slightly better when I look at a book and read it, but even still, I've retained so much information from the Audible books that I've read mm-hmm. or I've listened to. And, you know, so I, I, I try to utilize both. I like to listen to Audible while I'm doing something. And I do also like to sit and read. Uh, I think for me, it's just kind of like a break from other screens and stuff. But but yeah, so I, I also have stamped, but I haven't read it yet because I'm just finishing up. Actually, I probably will have started. I'm just finishing up Cult of Glory, which is about the Texas Rangers, gives an actual accurate depiction of the Texas Rangers and how um, how bloody and um, uh, like obviously racist gruesome. And, and gruesome they really they really were through the years and just the it's just a cycle it's a literally a litany of you know white settlers um, stealing land from Mexican and native people and then um, the Mexican and native people fighting back to defend themselves. And then the white settlers and the Rangers being offended, like how dare you try to take back what we stole from you mm-hmm. and then b- fighting them and, cr- and causing a massacre. And then it's just a vicious cycle. Um, I, I'm, I never am like set. Well, there have been a few books that I'm sad that I read, but I'm not so much sad that I read the book. I just, 
wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, it literally is just a list of all the atrocities that the Rangers had committed. I wanted to know more about how the Rangers were built up into this heroic symbol that they weren't, but it focuses a lot more on just like all their misdeeds. Well, it's because of white nationalism, right? Yeah. They well, secured yeah. so much land and they did all this good mm-hmm. for the country. So they're good guys. Oh yeah. And I, and I get that, but mm-hmm. I wanted him to go into detail about that. Yeah. Cause like that's b- what it sounded like. The- that's what it sounded like mm-hmm. it was going to be, but it's really mostly just like, but I also understand that he's dismantling almost a hundred years of, of, of whitewashed history. Right. And with, that, that's one of the biggest things that I've taken away from reading. Mm-hmm. I'm one and a half books in two and a half books in and already I'm like, why was I never taught any of this at all? Even yeah. slightly in school. Yeah. I was only taught, I mean, I knew deep in my heart some of the stuff but i never learned it learned the details learned the facts the numbers the names the places Mm -hmm. what actually happened i always knew my history was whitewashed but i never realized to the extent that it was whitewashed yeah yeah even even like the mexican history i mean i i honestly was never taught a lot either way of mexican or american history but even seen, but in Texas, I'm sure it's very different. Right. And I'd, I bet it'd be very interesting if you were su- from Texas to read Cult of Glory and hear about the stories that you've heard your whole life and how they actually played out. Right. Like, hear about the other side. Yeah. Like the truth. How actually, many not times? The other side. <laughs> how many times they wrote down that they were in a fierce battle and they were outnumbered? And the reality is that they they took people as prisoners who were unarmed, took them out to like the woods and then shot them in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And then they wrote in a report that it was a fierce battle and they had to fight their way out of it. It was just murder. Yeah, just murder. So, um, so yeah, so anyways, but then, uh, um, so yeah, Cult of Glory for me. And then I just finished um, Agatha Christie's and then there was none, which was really good. That was fun. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I'm currently listening to uh, Not That Bad. It's about rape culture and mm-hmm. um, it's essays written by women who have experienced sexual assault um but it was quote unquote not that bad because you know oh well at least he didn't kill me well at least he didn't do this or at least he didn't do that yeah um so it's just kind of rape culture and showing how women are made to believe that what happened to them wasn't really that bad like there's one woman who says like she went to like she reported it and the guy goes well at least he didn't kill you and that's Mm -hmm. true right at least he didn't kill you but that's not what she wanted to hear Right. She's like, okay, so I guess it's not that big a deal. He didn't kill me. I'm still alive. But like, you know what I mean? It's just the, it's the psychological effects that these women go through. And it's really powerful. And it's read by the writer. Mm -hmm. I think it could just be different women reading them. But with a different voice, I believe they are the writer's voices. And so to hear the break in voices between each different person, it really brings the story to life. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really good. It is. It's really. Yeah painful to listen to but it's really eye-opening at the same time well i think there's a there is very much this thing around sexual assault and rape and sexual abuse where you know there it's like we hear such extreme stories which are awful and atrocious but it desensitizes us Mm -hmm. to be like well you know i was just i was just quote unquote shoved up against the wall and kissed without my consent and you know that's not that bad bad, everybody has that happens to everybody doesn't it yeah right but the reality is that your autonomy was violated Mm -hmm. by someone and and what happens is and 
you know, and I just, I never trust people that... The perpetrator doesn't yeah. do something like that just once, especially yeah. if they're doing it so blatantly in public. And there's also um, that whole, min- yeah, there's a whole concept of that belief that you can do that to someone. And and I understand, like, we grew up in a culture that teaches us. So, you know, like, when I first left the IFB, because, like, there was such a dominance by men, and I, and I saw myself as taking on this male role, and, like, I had to exert that dominance, and that was okay. But the reality is, is that I was not respecting... I, you know, that that was such an arrogance and misdeed on my part to like think that I could expect someone to kiss me. Like I remember at the end of a of a date being like, "All right, um, well, I'm gonna kiss you now." And the person was like, "No," <laughs> and I was, and it was like very You're jarring period, for me. Right? Yeah, I was jarring. I was like, "What do you mean?" Like I, I just went on a date with you. I had that, you know, it was the same like meathead um, mentality. And I mean, meathead is like um, is a mild term right mm-hmm. like that's an abusive mentality it is and you have to you have to work to dismantle that and you have to w- do the work for it and, and you have to admit that there's a problem that's yeah all right we're not going to go into too much more detail, but you <laughs> have to admit there's a problem and you have yes. to address it you can't cover it up it, and you can't be quiet about it and you can't pretend it didn't happen you have yeah. to say holy shit i fucked up i am mm-hmm. so sorry let me make a public apology and address this situation address the situation admit there's a problem and then get help for the problem and while you're getting help and maybe after step the fuck down from any position that you might have so that you know you're not in a place to influence to to sway and influence over you and and to further harm people that have been victimized by you um, you know, and then once you get the help and if you really have changed, you know, there can be a conversation around you coming back into a light, depending on what the situation is, of course. But yeah, the whole point is educate yourself here. Listen to other people's stories. Don't hide sexual abuse. That has nothing to do with our topic today. But hey, we got onto it. You know what? <laughs> we always talk. It happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the only time Evan and I communicate. Yeah. So well, we should get into our, our episode. <clears throat> we return with part two of What a Drag, a history of ballroom culture and modern drag. We left off at the end of the 1950s, just as a new era was dawning in the queer community. The Lavender Scare was finally starting to fade as America's understanding around sexual orientation was very slowly evolving. Organizations such as the Madison Society and the Daughters of Belitis had stepped away from being secret societies to standing up as open gay and lesbian organizations. The public transition of former war vet Christina Jorgensen had swept the country, igniting a long debate around gender identity and gay rights. And on top of these events, the racial tensions of the era and daily feminist uprisings were preparing to explode into the revolution of the 1960s. As if waiting for an introduction, a small protest sparked the first fires of change. And I want to add, it's supposed to be Christine Jorgensen, and I wrote that wrong. But what did I? I no, you wrote read what I wrote. I wrote Christina Jorgensen, but it's oh. Christine Jorgensen. But there was there. So um, you know, we remember if you remember um, in the Kinsey episode, Alfred Kinsey episode. So 1948, he produces the Kinsey report, and then a few years later, he also report, uh, produces a report about female homosexuality as he called it lesbians Mm -hmm. and this starts so this starts to shift and then christine jorgensen being so prominent in her transition and other people also transitioning openly starts to shift i mean there's not an acceptance but there is kind of an understanding and an awareness and um like we said as the lavender scare eases so do so do some of the restrictions around drag Mm -hmm. specifically not so much around cross-dressing but around drag 
In May of 1959, L.A. police showed up to a local cafe late one evening. Cooper's Donuts was a favorite place for drag queens and trans-identifying folks. It was situated between two gay bars, and the owners were friendly to those labeled as cross-dressers. Plus, the cafe was open all night, which allowed for many people who didn't have a bed a place to sit and gather with friends. However, police knew the donut shop was a favorite place for cross-dressers, and they routinely showed up to harass the crowd. That night, two officers entered and began requesting IDs and rounding up anyone whose clothing didn't match the gender assigned on their identification. People began to protest and suddenly someone threw a donut and then coffee and plates and anything else the patrons could grab. The police fled the scene and didn't make any arrests that night. While it certainly wasn't a riot and mostly was ignored by the general public, the incident did not go unnoticed in the queer community. Right? That's so powerful. That first, mm-hmm. that initial thing where you're like... They really left? What? Right. Like, right. Can you imagine? Because every night they're coming in and they're arresting you. And this night you're just like, it's like that stonewall later. But mm-hmm. like that first time where you're like, no, I'm not going with you. And then they just throw a cup of donuts and the police are like, well, fine, you guys are meanies. Mm-hmm. Which, um, a little bit off topic, but I think we should do a uh, an episode on these types of businesses. Like mm, the diners oh, yeah. and things, like the, the safe havens of the queer community of night. I think that would be really nice yeah. to kind of... I'm sure we, I mean, I'm sure we can find a few exact examples like this, but even just covering like how those 24 hour or overnight businesses really played such a big part in helping the community. Oh yeah. And I think it would be really good. And it's true because I mean, especially if you're, if you don't have a home or if you're a sex worker and you're, you know, you need a place to go at night. And so it just becomes like this Mm -hmm. haven. In 1960, ballroom reemerged into mainstream black culture again, and houses became common. As it is often portrayed in Pose, houses were created both as a way to foster team spirit, but also, also for practical living conditions. It was hard for any queer person to find a job or housing during this time period, and almost impossible if the person was black or Latinx. So older and more experienced queens became mothers and oversaw their drag daughters. But age was not always a factor, and often a house mother was 25 or 30 years old while her daughters were in their teens and earlier 20s. So, yeah, sometimes they'd even be like 13, 14 yeah. Like, babies. Yeah, either kicked out of their home because right, they're Right, or they had to queer. run away because exactly. it was unsupportive or yeah. whatever. This terminology speaks directly to the culture of people of color taking care of their own as a society rejects them. It stems from oppression and should be acknowledged as such. Yeah, and I, so I and I, I'm not going to speak for the drag community or ballroom culture, but I am I am just saying that like this was more than just um, like having a competition. Like this was your life. Like your mother was not just a mother in competition. Like that this was a person that took care of you, mm-hmm. and so you went to them for advice. You went mm-hmm. to them for help. They provided either financial support or organized ways for the the family to make money and in many cases they raised you i mean look mm -hmm. at sylvia rivera she was adopted into a house and raised she was kicked out i think it was like 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. she was kicked out of her home and so so that just that has a deep meaning and i haven't heard anything about like being careful how you appropriate those words but just don't lose them use them too loosely yeah 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 remember what they're rooted in Six years after the Cooper Donut Uprising, another cafe found itself the center of queer resistance. This time, the circumstances were very different as Dewey's Coffee House had decided to stop serving the LGBTQ plus population after 20 years of being a local queer hotspot. Just like Cooper's Donuts, Dewey's was popular because it was open late at night and was located in the Philadelphia Gay District. 
In April of 1965, the, do- the owner decided that any patron wearing non-conformist clothing would be denied service. By this time, many laws around masquerade dressing were still on the books, and some states such as Michigan, California, and Florida had expressly forbidden people to wear clothing of the opposite sex. Yet there was no law in place in Philadelphia, so instead the owner claimed the queers were driving away his business. Um, you're in the gay district. That's literally your entire business. Right? And also this had been going on for like 20 years, since the 40s. Imagine like a, a bar in gays t- uh, Boys Town being like, well, we don't serve the queers anymore. It's like, um, okay, but you're literally in... Boys Town, like right. the like, whole center of your, Chicago's queer scene. Who is it? Like, what is the thought? Is the, are the businessmen coming here during lunch? Am <laughs> I missing something? And if the businessmen are coming there, they're during coming their, there for the queer community for a reason. Right. Yes. On April twenty fifth, one hundred and fifty um, LGBTQ marched to Dewey's and demanded to be served. The owner refused, and eventually, all but three protesters left, and the remaining few were arrested for disorderly conduct. Over the next week, people in the community picketed the restaurant, passing out flyers. Flyers, passing out flyers and staging sit-ins. Finally, on May 2nd, the owner relented and queer people won the right to eat at Dewey's. The local gay and lesbian organization known as the Janus Society wrote about the incident in their newspaper and word spread through the community again. But the biggest pre-Stonewall event was yet to come. And once again, drag queens and transgender people would be leading the way. It is important to pause here and discuss the way trans folks and drag queens have been intertwined in queer history. Both defied the gender roles assigned them to assigned to them, though often for different reasons. Many drag kings and queens, drag artists, and history have been thought to be transgender, and many transgender people have been relegated to drag performers. Because of the standards and resources of the past, it is hard to know how people would identify today. But this history has also conflated the art of drag and trans identities. People are confused by the fact that Marsha P. Johnson identified as a trans woman and a drag queen. The fact that she didn't take off her dress after her performance has made people wonder if the two were combined. We cannot speak for Marsha, but we can say that drag and identity are separate components. Yet many trans people were often forced into drag as a way to express themselves, while some did find their identity through drag, and countless more have always seen their drag as an art and not at all tied to their gender identity. Exactly. So that's kind of the thing where um, I talked about last episode where some um, some people do do it just as an entertainment, mm-hmm. and absolutely some people do do it for identity. And for a brief period of time, I saw a lot of white gay, cis white gay drag artists trying to push everybody else out. Yeah. Like, no, if you're not a cis male putting on a dress and doing the makeup and the full illusion of a woman, you're not doing drag. You're not a drag queen. Mm -hmm. And you can identify however you want and still do drag. It is an art form that has nothing to do with identity self-identity or the identity that people uh, other people try to assign to you Mm -hmm. it is fully an art form that can be practiced by anybody exactly absolutely um um, because what is what is surprising though is that given the history of drag and the trans community some drag performers have been so resistant to trans people performing in the drag of their gender expression i always do this i go ahead (laughs) for instance in 2018 notorious drag queen rupaul stated that he probably would not include trans performers on his show as they would have a so-called advantage. He came under heavy fire for his comments and has since retracted the statement, yet it showed Rue's own lack of knowledge around the history of drag. Yeah, it's all it's interesting to me too because like like how like you're a drag queen, the most 
famous drag queen in the world probably mm -hmm. and you don't understand how trans identities and drag performers have been tied together out of necessity yes but like to to understand how many trans women have been drag queens i mean he has to know though because he, he does before he was rupaul on the show he did bar shows and he traveled the world you know not the yeah. world, the, the country and he performed in all these bars for and, 30 years so he knows and then turn around and be like, that's an, a dis that's an advantage that you have? You What? What? Trans women and trans men have always been part of the drag scene. Former Playboy bunny Alicia Brevard got her start as a Marilyn Monroe impersonator in the 1960s. At the time, people didn't know she was undergoing sex affirmation surgeries with Dr. Harry Benjamin. She continued her drag work while her surgeries healed before taking a job as a stripper and later being discovered by a Playboy. Though the commercial success of her career does not mirror most of the community, her journey of using drag to express and find herself mirrors many others. For instance, it seems that Brevard's story may have more closely resembled that of Gladys Bentley's, who we mentioned in the previous episode, in that Bentley seemed to use drag as a more affirming art form than a character expression. Like all art, drag is interpreted in various ways by various artists. Mm -hmm. For all these many nuanced reasons, trans people and drag performers have had their histories tied closely together. That is why the Compton Cafeteria Riot of 1966 was a pivotal moment for both the trans community and the drag community. On a hot weekend night in August, San Francisco police were called to, Comp to Compton's, located in the Tenderloin district of the city. The cafeteria was a 24-hour joint which made its which made it a magnet for trans folk, drag queens, and sex workers. The queens began to get rowdy and catty, and management called the cops. The police went through their regular charade of targeting those they considered cross-dressers, and one officer grabbed the arm of a patron. She reacted by throwing her coffee in the policeman's face, causing an outburst and ensuing commotion. Got a, I, I wonder if it was a hot coffee or a nice coffee. Oh, I'm sure it was a hot coffee. Fucking piping hot. Just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, my God. I just, I also wonder why the police were called that night. I don't know how rowdy they were, but like this was a, it's a, a regular group of thing. Queens, and they were probably just laughing and right? being silly. Maybe the, I bet the owner was, or whoever was working that night was just very grumpy and tired, and it's a yeah. night shift. Be quiet, sit there, you know? Yeah. And they were out having a good time. They probably just got done performing and. Yeah, just just people enjoying themselves at a twenty-four hour diner. Twenty-four hours, people are gonna be like, you gotta expect that. Especially thing. after everybody's been drinking, like you know. At, yeah, yeah, you know what to expect. Maybe it was someone who's like a newer Maybe. worker. Who knows? Tables were flipped as plates and silverware went flying through the air, breaking windows and crashing on the ground. Officers called for backup and the paddy wagons arrived on the scene. Now the queens and queers were in full fight mode as roughly 50 to 60 patrons entered hand-to-hand -hand combat with the cops. High heels were used as weapons, purses were used as shields, and general havoc was raised. Trans historian Susan Stryker wrote in the transgender history that eventually the night ended with a police car vandalized and a newsstand burned to the ground. I just love the idea in my mind of like these drag queens like <laughs> fully holding like a heel in a purse like swinging the like, purse yeah, right? They're like hitting the top and then they swing them at them with the, the heel. <laughs> like, it just is such havoc in my mind of like such a perfect scene for a movie. Right. Which is crazy because it's it's real life but like yeah. just the thought of the 
like imagine being the employee there when you saw this all going down. You're just like, oh, just fuck. Just behind the counter just watching this. <laughs> <laughs> While Compton's is often buried beneath the history of Stonewall, it was a huge moment in the queer community at the time. It is true that all LGBTQ plus people faced discrimination during this time. Yet, white, gay, and lesbians did not did have the relief of a closet that was often suffocating but also had held many doors meaning that many gay people could choose whether or not they came out at their jobs or in their communities and many could be out to a certain degree drag queens on the other hand were harassed simply for doing their jobs regardless of whether or not they identified as gay and trans people often rejected by a larger by larger society as well as by the gay community so together these outcasts of the outcasts formed an alliance and stood up to the biggest oppressors, the police. And in doing so, they showed the greater LGBTQ plus community resistance was possible. Yeah, it was all these little instances that made people at Stonewall that night be like... Well, hey, they did it. They yeah. did it. They did it. Fuck right. it. You got, you've got Philadelphia, San Francisco, LA, and looking at that and see, like, if you're in the community, you know these things are happening. Mm -hmm. And so then you stand up. In 1968, the first truly modern large-scale ball was held in Washington, D.C.'s Hilton. The Black Pearl International Awards was hosted by the drag queen Black Pearl and would become the most popular drag event of the year. It even sparked a renewed wave of ballroom culture which began to grow through the 70s as more large cities created or rebuilt their ball scenes. By the 1980s, ballroom was thriving in cities such as Baltimore, New York City, San Francisco, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. It was in this scene that voguing began, and it was from black and brown ballroom culture that Madonna appropriated her iconic song and dance. This atmosphere was also the home to budding stars such as RuPaul and Billy Porter. Both of which have their own episodes, by the way, if you mm -hmm. want to go take a listen. Yes. Running parallel to this would be... Running parallel to this world was the white mainstream evolution of drag. 1973 bought the first removal of cross-dressing ordinance with Chicago's repeal of a 122-year-old law. And while some cities followed, others cracked down harder than ever, determined to combat the exploding gay rights movement. In 1977, Texas police arrested 53 people who were breaking the 1861 law, which stated, It shall be unlawful for any person to appear on any public street, sidewalk, alley, or other public thoroughfare dressed with the designated intent to disguise his or her true sex as that of the opposite sex. The law would be repealed just three years later. Right, <laughs> you've addressed 53 people and three years later mm -hmm. you get do away with the law. Though some states were holding tight to their anti-cross-dressing stance, it still stood in stark contrast to America's love for drag performances. Even during the silent age of drag during the 1950s and early 60s, viewers still loved the art. Stormy de la Vare, Stormy de la Vare, I can never say her last name, mm -hmm. right? I'm sorry, Stormy, was the lesbian credited with throwing the first punch at Stonewall. But before that momentous night, she spent the two previous decades touring the country with Jewel Box Review, a group of drag queens that were exceptionally popular during the time. Then there was a popularity of drag on television, though it didn't mirror the drag performers on stage. Yet no matter what the platform was, the message was clear, people love drag. So much so that in 1976, when a patron in drag was denied service at the Fire Island Pines restaurant in New York City, a group of friends returned on July 4th, all dressed up in drag. Today, thousands of drag queens show up to Fire Island on July 4th in what is known as the Invasion of the Pines. Oh, I didn't know about that. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I'll and it's that. interesting today to see... Is this going to be in here? What? What? 
um, just how like there's so much drag everywhere. It's on TV mm, yeah. and mainstream. It's on Instagram. Like you literally, I mean, I'm also heavily involved in the queer community, so mm. I'm, I'm sure like your mother probably doesn't see drag on her timeline anywhere. But, no, I'm sure. But <laughs> <laughs> there's so much in the world. It's very hard and you have to try very hard to mm. not be exposed to it in one way or the other. Oh, yeah. In fact, I would honestly say that when you talk about the queer community, one of the one things that straight people know is drag. Absolutely. They're like, oh, oh yeah. yeah I've been to a drag show. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, like to them, that is the queer community right. sometimes. That's the face. Yeah, exactly. And that's also why it's important who your drag queens are and who's representing your community. And who's on the front line. Uh-huh. <laughs> but nothing has shown the... In Endearment. But nothing has shown the endearment of drag like the 20-year tradition of Wigstock. The story goes that in 1984, a group of drunk queens, one being Lady Bunny, decided to put on a show. So they went to Tompkins Park in New York City and did just that. Some have credited Wigstock for giving drag the edgy, crude comedy it is famous for today. Author Frank DeCaro, who wrote Drag, combing through the big wigs of show business, stated, It's the aesthetic of drag race today. They're not really trying to be a beauty queen. It's Viola Jean Merman saying, I can sing opera, but I can do it while I eat spray cheese from a can. Yeah, so from what I found, like, so wig stock is when you start to go back into kind of almost a vaudeville humor again, but it's not, um, it's not quite as offensive to women, although there are feminists that will mm -hmm. argue that. Um, it's not quite, there was also a lot of racism mm -hmm. in drag in the 80s, 90s, and as we've seen even some today, because some people still don't get it. Yep. But like, but it does take on more of that crude. So like you have like Julian um, Eltinge who like gives drag kind of like the softer, very um, realistic art form. And then it goes back into like kind of kind of a crude, wacky. Clowny. Huh? Clowny. Clowny, yeah. And I think that part of that was people wanting to separate drag as an art form and really separate it from like. Uh, like these people co confuse drag with trans identity so much mm -hmm. and people are like no this is an art you know right. as I've heard David say before I've never seen a woman look like me because he's very these outrageous big looks right. that aren't what the dark are, makeup the bigger features the yeah. painted like everything is painted clowny yeah clowny exactly um, though the through the years, drag would evolve into the art that we see today on shows like RuPaul or even our, in our local gay scene. But it was a slow evolution that happened in the 1990s after the landmark documentary Paris is Burning. Which is a very good documentary and very sad, but very good. Yes. Uh, I don't. I couldn't. I didn't even put it in our references, but that is going to be one of your references. <laughs> this 29-year-old documentary debuted ballroom culture as it truly was to the world. However, the documentary broke a year after Madonna's music video and never had the reach of the superstar. Um, and so a lot of people even had the audacity to kind of say that they were copying Madonna because the documentary came out uh, after yeah. Madonna. And it's like, uh, no, actually no, Madonna stole this. Madonna from, copied them. Yeah. So while it has long been triumphed in queer circles, the documentary has mostly faded from memory. Though the hit show Pose seems to be hinting that it will be covering this as part of their storyline next season. While drag kings have never been as popular as drag queens, there really seemed to be a fade in the art of drag kings between 1990 and the early 2000s. The documentary Venus Boys featured well-known king Diane Tor, who also teaches the art of masculine drag. 
But for the most part, most people don't even know that drag kings are a thing. Today, drag is almost completely portrayed on stage and in film as drag queens. And though many people are familiar with the art of drag, most can trace their knowledge back to the hit show RuPaul's Drag Race. In 2009, popular drag queen RuPaul launched what has become a turning point around drag and television. The show was the first of its kind and one of the only shows about drag for many years. There had been a few popular movies throughout the 90s, such as Robin Williams and The Birdcage and Mrs. Doubtfire, which did more of a disservice to drag and the trans community than a help. Um, And that was really, like, Mrs. Doubtfire was very indicative of, like, what drag was considered or portrayed in television. It's just, it's just a man pretending to be a woman so that he can do, you know, so he can deceive people. Same thing with the birdcage. And that's not what drag is. And that's also not what trans identity is. So Mm -hmm. it like very much misrepresented the, the reasons behind and around drag. Then in 1995, there was the famous to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. Sorry. And that video, I've, I watched it very... That, okay. So, Mom, maybe you can answer me this. <laughs> Why was I watching this movie at, like, 11 years old? I have memories of watching this and wanting to watch it over and over and over, and I would think it was so funny of the woman, right, uh-huh. chasing the people around in her heels when really it was a drag queen. I knew it was a drag queen, but, mm-hmm. like, just 11-year-old me watching this movie laughing my ass off and now i watched it today and i'm like this is so unrealistic they're driving in full (laughs) drag like that would be horrible they would be so sweaty they have the roof off how are their wigs not blowing away (laughs) like i I watch it today and i'm like this is so comical yeah your mother knew then she's like she had to well i remember one time i asked my mom to dress me up like a girl and she did i put on one of her shirts and heels and she put makeup on me yeah but it was just funny. Yeah. So, uh, Tu Wang Fu was released and became an instant cult favorite. And then 10 years later, in 2005, the popular Broadway play Kinky Boots was released and became a smashing success Which on the main also stage. Very good. Yes, very good. Still, for the most part, drag was portrayed as a form of mockery and not an actual form of art. RuPaul's Drag Race changed that perception. Today, most people have a more positive way to consume the art of drag. There's a wider acceptance in the community of artists from various identities and backgrounds, and there's a greater social awareness and understanding around drag. Since its debut, RuPaul's Drag Race has been nominated for 23 Emmys and won nine. More shows have since aired, and more movies and documentaries have been produced. Netflix even ran the show AJ and the Queen for one season before canceling the show. While we still need to evolve in the community and stand against harmful stereotypes often portrayed in the past, today drag has become an established art form in America and many parts of the world. And so with that, your recommended resources are Paris is Burning. I don't know where it's available. Sorry. it was on Maybe. TV when I was in LA, so I don't even know how I saw it. It was, I, just happened to be on the TV. I know. I think you can get it on YouTube, but I'm not sure. Probably. There's also Drag: The Complete Story, written by Simon Doonan, and we suggest the documentary "The Making of a King," which is available on Amazon, Amazon Prime. If it, it's it was, I think it still is. Mm-hmm. And this documents uh, the history of modern movement of drag kings in America. And of course, there are countless videos on YouTube to teach you about any makeup or costumes if you want to try drag for yourself. And if you want to try it, even if you look horrible, just try it. Because guess what? You're Mm -hmm. not going to get to the point of looking great by not trying it. It has taken David five years to look as good as he does. When he started off, he didn't look horrible. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's an evolutionary process. You learn how to do makeup. You learn how to do wigs. You learn how to sew. You learn how to do costumes. So... 
try it. You know, even just try it for once. If you've always thought, I wonder what I would look like, or if I don't know if I could do that, or I don't want to do that, try it, explore it. Explore the art form, explore your identity, explore everything. Yeah, and and, and like you said, like anything that's art, you're just going to take a while to work on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen to our episode one. Uh, <laughs> Listen to episode yeah, one of oh, our yeah, podcast. Right? <laughs> exactly. I'm looking for one one book. City Nights. I can't. It's written by um, Langston Hughes, I think. I, um, Jeopardy music plays in the background. Da, 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 da. Okay, that's all you can do without copyright. Oh. <laughs> I don't know the actual Okay, law. I can't find it, but there's a we're going to cover it later on anyways because there's a book that really talked about it was written it's fictional but it writes about the real events of like um the Dewey's, Dewey's donuts uh, or Cooper's donuts and the Compton cafeteria riots and and the the time period of that. So if you want to know more about the history but I can't remember the book, so I guess you'll never know. You can always read Susan Stryker's uh, Transgender History, which also talks about those events. But that is it. That's the history of drag. And I hope you had a good International Drag Day last week. Yeah, and um, support local drag queens. It, mm-hmm. Go to a drag show if you've never been, which I'm sure some of our listeners never have. Go to one. Yeah. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you feel really uncomfortable. Or maybe you'll find something and you say, wow, that was a lot of fucking fun, which I'm it's probably going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of talented people all over the world doing different forms of drag, and I really recommend that you at least attend one show. Even if you think that's too feminine, you're not into it, give it a shot. Yeah, just try it. Everybody seems to have fun at a drag show. Yeah. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And a little succulent saphis. Resist the oppressors, our proud homo And have yourself... A sodomy circus. Or don't. And Black Lives Matter. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.